O God, in the stillness, come meet us. Amen. So I think the world is becoming smaller, or at least in a way, because we know more about each other than ever before. I mean, between the internet and television, between airplanes that can take us all over the world, global migration, our exposure to other religions and other cultures has multiplied exponentially in recent years. So we don't have to travel to another country to meet someone who is Buddhist or Muslim or Jewish. In this day and age, persons from other religions are our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors. We share life with them. So just by way of example, I live in Southeast Wichita, and this is the view from the street in my neighborhood. This is the Lao Buddhist Associates of Kansas, right? This is not a trip that I took to another country to capture these beautiful images. No, this is just down the street from where I live. So in the past, Christians might have been able to leave the question about the existence of other religions to those who were called to foreign missionary work. But today, every single one of us, practically daily, are faced with some questions. And Paul Knitter uh, frames some of the opening questions as follows. He says, why are there so many different religions? And are all religions valid in God's eyes? Are they all equally effective in putting people in contact with the divine? Are, are there differences more a matter of varied colors than of conflicting contents? And how should the religious traditions relate to each other? And so these are the questions that wade into a field called theology of religion. If you want to go to that next slide, David. And theology of religion invites us to construct our own theological understanding of the presence of other religions, okay? So over the next five weeks, today included, this series invites us to grapple with understanding Christianity in relationship to other world religions. Now, throughout this series, I'm going to use Paul Knitter's um, work that he did in a book called Introducing Theologies of Religion. This will be our framework, and in this book, he outlines four different models. And so each Sunday through this series, we're going to focus on a different model, each of which is used by Christians. And at the end of this series, we're going to enter into a space of, of reflection on how each one of us might make sense of Christianity in relationship with other religions. So I have to be fair up front that this topic can be a semester-long course in graduate school, okay? So I'm going to give you the best and most simple overview I can, but know up front there are details and nuances that I will not have time to go into or that I will leave out entirely. But if you want to learn more, this is a great resource, and I would commend this book to you for further reading if you're interested in diving a little bit deeper. And here's the other thing that I need you to know up front. Put your academic hat on, okay? This series is a little bit intellectual, it's a little bit uh, academic in nature, and the design of it is to stretch you more deeply. You may not agree with all of these models, you may not agree with any of these models, 
And I can guarantee you that there will be enough discomfort in this series for all of us to feel uncomfortable at this point, no matter what your position is, okay? So my invitation is for you to listen with openness, right? My attempt each Sunday is for us to try to, to understand and to kind of put on the thinking cap of each individual viewpoint. And um, the other thing that I want to lead with here is that all four of these models are distinctly Christian. All right? All four of them, though they are different from one another, they all struggle between, as Paul Knitter says, the particularist texts of the Bible that proclaim Jesus as the one and only Savior and the universalist texts of the Bible that announce God is a God of love who wills all people to happiness and salvation. And they attempt to do both of these things without falling into either relativism or absolutism. All right? So here's a simple overview of these four models to get us started. The first one is the one we're focused on today. This is the one that is called the one and only, the replacement model. In this model, Christianity is positioned as the only one true religion that in fact replaces all of the other religions. Next week, we'll look at the fulfillment model, the catchphrase, so in this um, model, Christianity is positioned as the one religion that fulfills all other religions. The following week, we'll look at the mutuality model and that catchphrase of in conversation. The mutuality model positions Christianity as one of many true religions that's called to dialogue and to work with other religions toward a common goal. And then the fourth Sunday, we'll look at the acceptance model, again, one of many, and in the acceptance model, Christianity is positioned as one of many true religions that's called to accept the, other goal, the goals of the other religions on their own terms. All right, So that is a very bird's eye view overview of these four models. So before we take a closer look, and then I should say the very last Sunday, you get a turn too, okay? To say, I agree with this one, or I agree with that one, or I want to pick and choose different pieces, or I have my own model, here it is, all right? So you have to think too. All right, so before we take a closer look at the replacement model, which will be our focus today, I want to offer you um, an analogy that Paul Knitter uses in his book. And there will be different points where we'll come back to this over the course of the series. But Paul Knitter offers us this image that when we look up at the starry sky, we can take in the whole view, right? We, we, we see the whole thing, but we can't see anything up close. And so we get this broad view, but we can't see the specific details. And so we pull out our telescope, right, our own religious lens, and we focus it, and when we do that, a specific landscape comes into focus, and we can see it in greater detail. But once we've done that, we miss the rest, right? So what is the solution? So for Knitter, the solution is we can borrow someone else's telescope. We can borrow the telescope of another religious lens and try to see the world uh, through that religious lens. So this can help us begin with the concept of conversation as being key to understanding and naming truth, but also looking through another, another telescope helps us to deepen our own theology and our own understanding of the divine 
And sometimes it can also help us see our own blind spots, where perhaps our own claims or our own religion's claims to absolute truths have actually caused wars, impoverishment, and other evils. All right, so we're going to go back to all four models, and we're going to start with that replacement model. So this has been the dominant historical attitude within Christianity. It has motivated Christian missionaries for centuries. And in this model, as Paul Knitter writes, the balance between the universality and the particularity of God's relationship with humanity clearly comes down more heavily on the side of particularity. So the concept is that God's love is universal and extending to all, but that love is realized through the particular and singular community of Jesus Christ. So there are four basic principles that undergird this position in particular. And so here they are. The first is that the Bible is the ultimate guide for what a follower of Jesus does and claims. The second is that Christian lives must be marked by a personal experience of Christ and of the Spirit. The third is that Jesus makes all the difference in the lives of Christians. And then finally, Christians are committed to sharing with others the gift of salvation that they've been given. And it's not because they think Christianity is superior to others, but because they've received a gift and they believe gifts are to be shared. So in this replacement model, there's actually two uh, branches of thought. On one side, we have total replacement, okay? And in this model, the understanding is that God neither speaks, works, nor saves through other religions. On the other side, we have the partial replacement model, and that, God, that is, God is speaking and working through other religions, but not saving through them. So we're going to start first with the lens of total replacement. And total replacement is largely based on the work of Karl Barth, Bart was living in an era of lots of new ideas, and in the context of his local parish, he began to realize that this myriad of many, many possibilities for the people were actually confusing them, and it was giving them so many choices that they were becoming paralyzed in the face of evil, which he found to be a very real, true problem. And he saw it not only in his local parish, but he also saw it in the world around him with the liberal theology of the day, that failed to confront the evil that was embodied in the slaughter of World War I. And so Karl Barth um, took it upon himself to begin writing and working this out, and he eventually produced these four alone statements. So the first is that we are saved by grace alone. And the concept here is that human beings were a mess, right? We just are a mess, and we cannot get out of this mess by ourselves. And so we need a higher power, we need something beyond ourselves, we need grace. And then that we are saved by faith alone, that we have to acknowledge we can't fix the mess by ourselves, we have to trust God. We can't work our way toward it, we have to simply trust God, faith alone. And that we're saved by Christ alone, that God has acted in Jesus Christ, revealed the true nature of things, that God is ready to love us and affirm us and rescue us purely out of that great divine love. And then finally, that we're saved by scripture alone, that it's through the Bible that Christ is revealed to us. And so for Bart, in the end, all religions fall short, including Christianity. 
He thinks they're all ultimately um, not adequate because they all keep us, they all stand in the way of humans just trusting and letting God be God. And Bart's statement is we have to let God be God and Jesus trust. And so even though Bart criticizes Christianity, he says that Christianity is, listen to this, okay, Christianity is the true religion because it's the only religion that, that knows it's a false religion. And it further knows that despite being a false religion, it's saved through Jesus Christ. So there are several scriptures that are used to make the case for the replacement model and for total replacement in particular. And those are the scriptures that Vicki read for us this morning. And they're up here on the screen for you. You've probably heard these verses before. You just might not have heard them all together in a package like that. And for me, all of these are talking about how Jesus is the way to salvation, right? Jesus is the path um, that through Christ we are saved. And I think for me, the one that kind of typifies these scriptures is John 14, 6, which says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so these scriptures, when taken together, um, are used by those who are committed to this total replacement model to say, this, this is the biblical evidence that we have to say, Jesus Christ is the one and the only. But beyond this biblical framework, there's also a theological philosophical argument. And so Christians who propose this total replacement model um, would support the argument made by R. Douglas Gebbett and W. Gary Phillips. And their argument is that one way just makes sense. It's logical. And so it goes, their argument goes something like this. In a world where there is so much uncertainty and so much unclarity and so much fear, it just makes sense that if God exists, then God would provide us with a clear purpose of life, a clear and well-defined path to walk toward that purpose of life. All right. So... Are you in a whirlwind? You feel like, are you with me, kind of? All right, so there's another branch, okay? We're gonna go into this other branch of the replacement model, which is the partial replacement model. Okay? In the partial replacement model, um, it is understood that God is speaking and working through other religions, but not saving through them. And so this nuance takes a less harsh stance it is ascribed to mostly by people who are firmly committed to both the uniqueness of Jesus and to fending off any sellout to the of the gospel to the modern world, but at the same time, they're more open, they're more ecumenical, more ready to find God's presence in the world. And they, in fact, feel that the total replacement model misses God's presence and action within the world of other religions. And so this model says... The nuance of it is that God is present and acting within the people and the structures of other religious communities, and that they point to scripture as well to back up this position that God does indeed speak through the power of nature and through personal conscience. And so here are three scriptures that they would highlight from Romans 1, 20, uh, and verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 15. Ever since the creation of the world, God's eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, 
have been understood and seen through the things God has made. What the law requires is written on their, or the Gentiles, hearts, to which their own conscience bears witness. There's a verse in Acts 14, 16, um, that talks about how God has not left you without a witness in doing good. Acts 17, 27 says that God is not far from each one of us, for in God we live and move and have our being. And then finally, that verse from John 1, 14, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. That whole section of scripture is talking about how the word existed from the beginning, but Jesus, right, was incarnate in a specific historical period. And so for those who would ascribe to partial replacement, they would say that if Christ was working before the historical Jesus lived and walked on our earth, then we cannot preclude that same Christ from working in other religions at all times and all places throughout the course of history. So theologians, theologians also um, construct this same argument. John Calvin and Martin Luther, they also agree that God speaks to people. Go ahead to that next slide, David. John Calvin and Martin Luther would also agree that God speaks to people through nature and also through human conscience. Um, there's a German Lutheran theologian, Paul Althaus, who felt that Bart was just way too narrow in his view. And so Paul Althaus says there is, there is something called the something more, okay? And that people hear the divine in this something more. And this something more, it tugs at their heart when they fall in love and decide to stay committed to, to one other person, even when it gets difficult and hard. Or that something more is what tugs at people's hearts when they answer a sense of social responsibility for the poor or with hope that good is stronger than evil, even when all the evidence in life is to the contrary. Paul Tillich also moves in this direction when he talks about the ultimate concern. He, his premise is that we feel the presence of God when we find ourselves grasped by the ultimate concern, which is a concern that grounds us and holds us and qualifies all other concerns as preliminary and that it contains the answer to the question of the meaning of life. So, so for proponents of this model, they are sure that God speaks to other, other, other people through their own religion through this concept of general revelation, which would be that something more, or that ultimate concern that Althaus and Tillich are talking about, that, that in this general revelation, that, that the divine is revealed as one who is personal and loving and relational, and that the other thing that is revealed is that humans need redemption and the world needs redemption. And so from this vantage point of general revelation, other religions are seen as tools by which God carries out the divine plan. So just as much as those who adhere to the partial replacement model would say God is moving and speaking through other religions, they still staunchly defend that salvation cannot be found through other religions, but only through Christ, Christ alone, going back to Bart, one of Karl Barth's four alones. So to make this argument, they really rely on two points, and the first is New Testament. They would say from our searching of the scriptures, there are no instances in scripture whereby a person comes 
to true belief in Jesus Christ through responding to general revelation alone. This takes us back to those, those pillars of Christian theology that Karl Barth outlined. The other, the other uh, argument that uh, those uh, who, who uh, adhere to the replacement model would make is that the evidence from other religions themselves affirm this, that um, from a Christian perspective, if we are saved by faith alone and not by works in any way, that this is contrary to the teachings of other religions. Um, that though they might provide for the general um, revelation of the existence and love of God, that followers of other faiths end up in one form or another trying to save themselves rather than letting God be God and trusting in the divine. So this model um, inherently moves us toward a question. And that question is, is this. Does this mean that a loving God sends off to hell people who don't know Jesus? And there are some who adhere to the replacement model who would say, yes, we're sorry, but yes. There are others who would say, we don't know. We don't want to go that far. Okay? And so they lean toward something that we might term Christian agnosticism. And there are kind of two camps in this. And the first is the pessimistic Christian agnostic position and that is that we don't know for sure we do know that god is not bound to save everybody we do know that in matthew 7 13 it says the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction and there are many who take it and we know that the righteous path is narrow and so we think it is likely that few will be saved but they're not willing to say you you're going to hell okay they reserve that, we don't know, but we're kind of pessimistic about it. On the other side of that are the optimistic Christian agnostics. And this position would say, well, I mean, God is ultimately free to save anybody, right? God is not bound by my understanding of what it means for a person to be saved. So God is free to save anybody. And I know that God's love moves in the direction of forgiveness. But they won't say for sure how this happens. Um, and there are a lot of developing theologies around this, but I don't have, this is an area where I have to say, I don't have time to go into this more deeply today. Um, but there are a lot of developing theologies around a theology of salvation that would um, flesh out the optimistic Christian agnostic position, okay? Um, that's another sermon on salvation sometime, probably a whole series, who knows? So that brings us then to the question of dialogue, all right? So um, the replacement model calls overall, it calls for a kind of dialogue that we could term holy competition. And the idea is that, um, that there are, between the many religions, um, many of them have individual claims that they are the only way or that they are the final truth. And so um, from the replacement model perspective, they would say, yeah, I mean, we're kind of like the salespeople for Christianity. And if you're, if you're a salesperson, you're not going to sell your product if you present it as just good or one option among many. You have to go in and you have to say with enthusiasm why you think your way is the best. And so those who believe in the replacement model, they are sure that if they present their case, that Jesus will come out on top. 
In the total replacement model, there is room for dialogue only to the extent that we explain our position, okay? Respectfully as part of that holy competition. In the partial replacement model, there's a softening of that, that there's more room for dialogue with people from other religions, that there's a starting place for dialogue that's a matter of trading information, maybe with the goal of dissolving prejudices, mistrust, or conflict. Um, there's a place in the conversation to share common concerns, whether those are um, social or environmental or political. Um, and eventually then, the dialogue does move toward theological difference. And this is where proponents of the replacement model would go back to that concept of holy competition, that, that, that they believe it's important to say, this is our message, and we believe in the end that Jesus will prove himself as the one and only way of salvation. Okay, take a deep breath with me. <sighs> All right. So there are a number of insights that we can get from this replacement model, and there are also challenges and critiques of it, all right? And I'm sure that as you've been listening to me in your own head, you've been popping up with, yes, but, or eh, I don't think that, or yeah, I totally agree, right? At different points, all of those things may have come into your head. So we do not have time today to delve into those insights and challenges, but what I can tell you is on fifth and final Sunday of this series, and the mind frame of each one, we will look at the insights, what each one brings, and then the critiques of each one, and you will have a space to think through what is your own theology of religion. Next week, we're going to turn to this um, fulfillment model, and we'll dive um, more deeply into it um, at that time. But this morning, I want to invite us to close uh, with a prayer that comes from the World Council of Churches. And this is a prayer um, for peace. It was written by Christian and Jewish and Muslim clergy. And it was used in many places um, where they were doing interreligious worship around the time of the Gulf War. And so I invite you to be in a spirit and an attitude of prayer with me. Eternal God, creator of the universe, there is no God but you. Great and wonderful are your works, wondrous are your ways. Thank you for the many splendid variety of your creation. Thank you for the many ways that we affirm your presence and purpose. And thank you for the freedom to do so. Forgive our violation of your creation. Forgive our violence toward each other. We stand in awe and gratitude for your persistent love for each and all of your children, Christian, Jew, Muslim, as well as those of other faiths. Grant to all and our leaders attributes of the strong, mutual respect in words and deed, Restraint in the exercise of power and the will for peace with justice for all. Eternal God, creator of the universe, there is no God but you. Amen. <laughs>